Well, hi, everybody. I'm Bill Whittle here with Steve Green and Scott Odd here posing in front of the house that he's bought in South America on his BillWhittle.com salary. Uh, uh, coming to us uh, from the third world with uh, with authentic dog barking uh, sound effects added uh, after we recorded in post. Uh, Scott asked me to make sure I explain the story because luckily enough for Scott, he's been out of the country for the last uh, 10 days or so and um, does not really have much uh, bearing on the whole um Dylan Mulvaney, Bud Light thing. So I'll just do a, a brief recap because that's still going on. So basically, uh, Scott, um, the uh, vice president of Bud Light is a was a very progressive woman who was bragging about three days before this commercial broke about how Bud Light is just too old-fashioned and, and retrograde and frat boyish. And she says the only future for Bud Light is to make it more inclusive and progressive. So they decided to do a campaign with uh, trans activist Dylan Mulvaney. And now Dylan Mulvaney's face is on uh, Bud Light cans. And the commercials are showing Dylan Mulvaney coming out and addressing, I hear there's something going on in March about sports. I don't know what it is doing his cartoon woman thing, which is offensive oh, to women and, and everybody else. Right. Yeah. So there becomes this enormous backlash where people are not only buying Bud Light, they're mailing it back to the distributors. It's Bud loses $7 billion in market value. And so Budweiser starts to panic. Then they issue, the Budweiser uh, uh, CEO issues a statement on this, which basically says, boy, this sure is a great company. I mean, uh, this sure is a great country. I'm damn glad to be an American and Budweiser has been part of American history and always hope it will be anyway. So let's just forget this whole thing. Not a word, no, no, nothing. <laughs> but then it gets worse because as soon as that so-called message came out, within a couple days, Budweiser released their next commercial, and this is the commercial that they've released in response to people having this pushback against this, uh, th this agreement between you know bud light and 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 the transgender movement so this is what they think we want to hear in order to like budweiser again so feast uh, your ears and eyes on this one folks let me tell you a story about a beer rooted in the heart of america found in a community where a handshake is a sure contract. Brewed for those who found opportunity in challenge and hope in tomorrow. Raised by generations, willing to sip, share, risk, remember. This is a story bigger than beer. This is the story of the American spirit. You know, it's not often that, that uh, it's very often that I get, uh, you know, angry about things I see, but it's not so often that I get so angry about things that I see that I actually bark out what I'm thinking out loud. And watching that Budweiser commercial, Steve, I think I probably shouted F you at the top of my lungs probably four <laughs> times, four times, uh, especially with the 9-11 reference. So Budweiser insults its, uh, its Budweiser hates its clients because the VP in charge of Budweiser said that they're just a bunch of, you know, frat boys and, and, and it's, it's going out of style. Uh, 
And then the CEO issues a statement that's not got anything to do with the problem. And then they give us what they think we low sloping forehead, knuckle dragging, patriotic rubes want to see in order for us to be, you know, pacified. America. Yeah. Um, I grew up in St. Louis where Anheuser-Busch was headquartered back before it was part of the whole Belgian Ambev conglomerate multinational thing. And let me tell you, there were basically three beers available to drink in St. Louis. You had Bush if you were on a budget, Budweiser if you weren't, and Michelob if you were feeling a little spendy. And they're all Anheuser-Busch products, and that was pretty much it. And the marketing machine was this well-oiled, exquisite piece of the perfection. Um, the the main team of Clydesdales was at this beautiful farm outside of St. Louis that I got to visit as a kid. I got to touch one of the Clydesdales, and until you've seen one of these magnificent beasts in person, you have no idea how big they are. It's they're, half elephant, yeah. They're, yeah, they're just massive, beautiful horses. But one of the most beautiful creatures I've ever seen. Uh, Bush Stadium is where the St. Louis Cardinals play baseball in the summer. Um, and, oh yeah, uh, Augie Bush, the 900-year-old uh, uh, CEO, emeritus, whatever his job was, he was there at the at the games. It was, I, they they'd always flash to him during the uh, during the during the World Series. They, uh, everything there was touched somehow in a positive way by Anheuser Busch. They're just active in in all the city stuff. It was just. It, it was amazing, even if you didn't like the beer or if later you learned not to like the beer because it's not that good. Um, you still had to respect the company and all, all they did for that city. Um, and here they have a situation where everybody who was offended by the Bud Light thing is now just like you saying, F you. Um, uh, Mark Hemingway, uh, conservative writer, I, I forget which publication he works for. I'm sorry, Mark, um, said uh, on Twitter yesterday, on, on Monday, I'm sorry, but this is just incredibly offensive talking about that ad. Bud needs to apologize and provide assurances they're going to stay out of politics. Instead, they tweet out eight roll f- of flags and an, or B roll of flags and invoke 9 11. Yeah, B rolls of flags. That's what it was. Yeah, and Hugh Hewitt, who is uh, a conservative radio host mm-hmm. and, and usually fairly soft-spoken, said uh, – he did a little plus 100 of what Mark Hemingway tweeted. He said, do they only employ morons in the marketing department? This is not the Anheuser Bush I grew up with. Obviously blending beer sale – or obviously bleeding beer sales and they drop this. What maroons? Go get some new C-suite folks or wake them up. Um, here's the thing. So they've got this new installed, uh, hired last year, uh, Bud Light marketing VP, Alyssa, I forget her last name, who has looked at, at, at Bud Light sales, and they've been apparently trending downward for a couple of decades now. She called it a, a dying brand, and mm-hmm. I don't know what their their sales figures are for Bud Light, but it was never that good. And if it's been dying, I, I wouldn't be surprised because people well, are there's generally There's a competition. Drinking. There's apparently yeah. real beers available now. Exactly. <laughs> and Bud, Light so- is, Bud Light is a gateway beer. So her her idea to save <laughs> Bud Light two beer was to make it inclusive. By the way, I hate that word because if there's anybody who if there's anything less inclusive, it's it's the trans left who uh, their attitude is conform or die. Yeah. And I won't explain that reference. I'll let you figure that out for yourselves. Um, so the marketing thing was obviously a flop. 
And the damage could have been limited to just Bud Light. All corporate had to do was, I don't know, maybe quietly fire her, ignore the whole thing, let it die out, let the let the harm be limited to the one brand that's already dying. And the inclusive people will still adopt Bud Light as their own and they'd have their their little niche market. And okay, fine. Instead, the C-suite has to get involved. Corporate has to get involved. Uh, and now we're talking not not one dying label. We're talking about the whole Anheuser-Busch beer empire getting sullied with this ham-fisted attempt at a non-apology. Um, this is going to go down as maybe the biggest blunder since New Coke. Without question. And, and they only have themselves to blame for it because they – Again, Bill, they could have limited the damage to exactly where it was with Bud Light. And instead, we got this. We've got we've got Hugh Hewitt, maybe the softest spoken radio guy on the right, essentially echoing the FU sentiment. That's how deep really, really stepped in it. Yeah. The, the the Dylan Mulvaney commercials for Bud Light were cringe. But this just, but the, but this. Oh, I know. Let's feed them all, all this Americana stuff. That's what these idiots want. Yeah. That that actually made me angry. Uh, Scott, for, luckily for you, you've been uh, uh, thousands of miles away from this entire debacle. Um, <laughs> but there is a debate going on um, among uh, the right, where a number of people, including Donald Trump Jr., have said we shouldn't be we shouldn't be doing this boycott against Anheuser Busch. They make large donations to Republican uh, candidates. They're one of the most pro-Republican uh, large donors out there. We should cut them a, a break on this. And and I disagree with this completely. This Wait, Donald Trump Jr. said this. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he came on. I... He came down real hard on on the side of of leave Budweiser alone. Uh, the, the the contrary opinion is this is a beer company and and they know who their audience is and they hate them and the the strategy from from the company Anheuser Busch was to we will remake you into either more tolerant people or we'll get we'll get progressives to to come and drink beer when they never had a beer in their lives so so the question is Scott do you think there's anything to this argument about gee we should we shouldn't be picking on Bud Light because a uh, Budweiser or Anheuser Busch because 60% of their uh, employees donate to Republicans instead of you know 99.6% of of their employees or should or should yeah, they, or is the entire point to have the house burned down as a result of this transgression as an example to encourage the others my guess is that if the people at Budweiser who are making individual political contributions to the Republican Party are that what their own company is doing, uh, they would be repulsed by it as well. I mean, the guys who were who were down there brewing the beer and driving the trucks and, and hauling the kegs around are not buying into this brand repositioning, I'll call it. And, you know, as far as as Budweiser goes, you can have it one way or you can have it the other. You can have your Dylan Mulvaney trans activist uh, market signals. segment or you can have your. Yeah, you can have your here comes the king, here comes the big number one and the Clydesdales and, you know, the flag and all that. But you can't have both. So it's it's a perfectly reasonable business decision to try to reposition a dying brand to, to serve a different market. But you, you can't you can't keep the brand. Uh, you can't keep the market that you've killed off over the years and then expect to just cobble this onto 
uh, you know, add this new market onto it. And the problem that we have uh, with this brand is there's no identifiable thing for the existing market. So the people who've been drinking Bud Light all these years, they could tolerate a commercial that featured some niche character from some very limited kind of slice of Americana, as long as everybody could identify with them. Right. But when you get this, when you get, you know, Dylan Prancer Mulvaney coming out here, you know, acting like he knows nothing about sports and, and dressed like a woman, you're not going to, that doesn't appeal to everybody. That's intentionally trying not to appeal to everybody. Now, you can build an entire brand appealing only to Dylan Mulvaney fans, and you can do quite well for yourself. You just can't have it both ways. So, you know, I, I think it sounds, it just sounds absurd to me. And you're right, Bill, the second commercial is a caricature. It is that America thing where they, you know, say, oh, yeah, remember back in the old days when we used to reach those people? How did we do that? Oh, I think we waved some flags around and played some important sounding music and and let the Clydesdales stomp their hooves and blow steam out their nostrils. And and that and that brought them in. Um, they don't understand the market they had and they are not even going to be able to get the market they're shooting for. They're going to lose both. You know what, Scott? You know what you just reminded me of. Uh, remember when Pontiac was still a, a GM brand? That was that was their that was one of their muscle car brands. You know, Pontiac was 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 was. Those were those were some serious muscle cars. Well, as GM, all their brands started to shrink in the in in the eighties, um, and they still had all of these brands, and but people were buying fewer and fewer from each one. So minivans became the big thing, and Pontiac dealers were screaming, uh, yeah. "We got to have a minivan!" Because everybody's buying minivans. So they right. took some. This is, the, this is how new Coke happens. Yeah, they took some Chevy. This is in the nineties. They took some Chevy minivan, I guess it was. Uh, put put Pontiac marks on it you know some cladding on the on the sides and they 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 marketed it as the Pontiac Montana and <laughs> it's a minivan and they got the guy in the voice muscle over, minivan the Pontiac Montana and so you've got guys who go into the the Pontiac dealer expecting to buy a Pontiac and they see the Pontiac now means minivan. Well, you're not getting the the minivan moms into the Pontiac dealer and now the Pontiac guys are yep. looking at a, a minivan brand. Is it any wonder there's no Pontiac anymore? No, exactly. There is Canyonero, however. Um so, yeah, so the, Steve's exactly right. So so it's been called the biggest disaster since New Coke and it is essentially the same dynamic as new coke just to refresh your memory coca-cola's got the most recognizable brand in the world it has the number one brand recognition on planet earth coca-cola and it sees pepsi's sales as a percentage of its market pepsi's starting to gain on them coke is still outselling pepsi by a huge margin but pepsi's gaining so coca-cola panics and they say we gotta uh, we gotta appeal to young people they like pepsi so we're gonna change coca-cola we're gonna change coca-cola and we're going to come up with this thing called New Coke, which tastes more like Pepsi. And as Steve pointed out, the Pepsi drinkers don't like New Coke because it's not Pepsi. And the Coca-Cola drinkers now have nothing to drink because it tastes like half Pepsi. And it's a catastrophe. They back their way out of it. So there's a lot of irony here. Just about three days before this hurricane broke, the, the woman who was the vice president of uh, Budweiser, who basically brought this entire uh, woke uh campaign it wasn't just dylan by the way they'd done commercials with uh, seth what's his name the unfunny guy not not the, not the funny one and um and amy schumer drinking beer while they talk about income inequality so bud's 
Bud Light's been heading down this road. Wow. But about, but about three days before the the Dylan uh, hurricane hit, she's done a she's on on a really relatively small podcast talking. Well, I'm the first woman um, uh, vice president ever in charge of Bud Light, and it's like. Well, that's not exactly the kind of thing I think you're going to be proud of because the company's $7 billion and more. So I think Bud Light needs to be burned to the ground, uh, and this boycott has legs. And and I don't care whether they've given money to Republican politicians. It needs to be made clear to people that if they decide to insult their audience, their clientele like this, then they will pay the price. This young woman who was in charge of um, making Bud Light, you know, much more inclusive and, and evolving the brand, improving it, you know, getting it away from the people who drink beer, basically. Uh, that person has has paid a price for it. And, and now I think the company does because the first woman hated her clients. And the best thing you can say about that second commercial is Anheuser-Busch has no idea who their, who their clients are, none. So now, now the market will um, will do its thing. Uh, just as a final thought, uh, I was looking at this after I calmed down after seeing this commercial. I thought to myself, Bill, what if they gave you the job? If you, if somebody said, "All right, we are in major catastrophe mode here. We need a commercial to undo this Dylan Mulvaney catastrophe." I, I actually said, said to myself, "How the heck is it? Would it be possible to get out of that?" And the only thing I could think of was to have a commercial where you got like a, a kind of a nice office, and on the door it says, uh, "Marketing Director, Bud Light," and and you're outside the door, and somebody opens the door, and they open the door, and sitting at this desk is this guy who is absolutely disheveled. There's a small pile of vomit on the desk in front of him. There's a series of empty Miller bottles. He's completely smashed, <laughs> right? Smashed out of his mind. And he looks up and he's just drooling. He's like, what? What happened? And they cut to him walking down the street with all of his belongings, you know, in his arms because he's obviously been escorted out of the building, you know. And he says, I don't even remember what happened. I was just so trashed, you know, it was completely trashed. And, and just own it and just own it and walk away with it and, and just have it. And, and trashed on Miller. Yeah, on Miller. Yeah, exactly. Perfect, right. Exactly. So, so it's like that's what I would do and just say, OK, we fired the guy. We made a terrible mistake own it and have fun with it but no they don't have anything like that kind of creativity because they don't understand their audience if you're trying to save this brand from the catastrophe you better appeal to people's sense of um of humor number one and number two if you have a clever enough way to make people laugh about this and still accept responsibility for it you probably could recover but uh, I think I heard Mash Walsh say what what Anheuser Busch has done is they've shot themselves in the foot, and then as they're hopping up and down, they reloaded and then shot themselves in the other foot, and uh, it's not ending well for Anheuser Busch. That'll do it for this edition of uh, the Right Angle, made possible by the members at BillWhittle.com. Scott is our uh, correspondent in uh, undisclosed locations in. Let's just say south of the equator. I think right south of the equator, barely. He's yeah, in the yeah, he's absolutely in, he's in the equatorish area. Because uh, not far from Equator Ecuador. Adjacent. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it's it's great to have a great, great to have you, even if it's by phone. And um, we'll see all of you next week right here on Right Angle. <laughs>